0: This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com
1: Hello everyone and welcome to the Project Witness webinar which will explore the life and times of Rabbi Mordechai that's Zatzal. Joining us today is Rabbi Daniel Glotstein who is a rub of Kahal Teferis Mordechai actually named after his grandfather. Rabbi Glotstein is a rub of Kahal Teferis Mordechai as well as a very popular speaker on a vast variety of topics on Medrash, Agada, Torah, Daf Yomi, and he has a very very large following of followers of Bishurim. He's also a prolific speaker who has visited several continents. Very popular speaker, and today we'll hear why. Um, Rabbi Glassin is also the author of a number of sarm, some in and Hakodesh entitled Maghara Kiyah and Chumash as well as some art school publications one is called The Darkness and the Dawn which deals with the upcoming three weeks and nine days also that book has not a lot of information about his grandfather as well as a book about Purim called The Concealed and the Revealed and an upcoming volume which is going to be about his grandfather's life so today we will focus on the life and times of Rabbi Mordechai Glock senior. I just want to give a bit of an introduction why this has always fascinated me so much, because it's highly unusual that you should have uh, someone who survived the entire war from Poland, not from Hungary, where other areas which had a, a smaller exposure to the Nazis, but from the beginning of the war, we have the story of someone who lived through it from beginning to end in the Warsaw Ghetto, post warsaw Ghetto, concentration camps, liberation, and then went on to rebuild his life in a beautiful family here in the United States. He was a rov in Pittsburgh for many years, and obviously the foremost event that shaped his life was the Holocaust. And today we're going to hear about Rabbi Mordechai Glotstein, his youth, the war years, and post-war years. It is my distinct pleasure to introduce Rabbi Daniel Glotstein, who's going to tell us about his illustrious grandfather. Rabbi Glotstein, welcome.
0: Good morning, Rabbi Lefkowitz. How are you? Shalom Aleichem. Baruch Hashem. Good to have you. An honor to be here. You know, hearing you talk about my grandfather, and many people know him as a, one of the great survivors of the war, a builder of Jewish life after the war, experiences that are hard to capture in words. Um, but to me, he was my grandfather. And to hear you speak about him... <laughs> Even though I've spoken about my grandfather so many times, I'm constantly speaking about him. I can't help but be Yore de Mois because uh he was he was a you know the word unique is uh very overused and and uh almost meaningless word, but it applies aptly to my grandfather. He was a tzaddik um, in the real sense of the word and it's hard to find. It's hard to say. Yeah, I know a tzaddik similar to him. No, he had no, he had no parallel. He had no comparison. Um, as just as a a compassionate individual, you know, after everything that he saw and experienced, he wrote. Uh, he once wrote an article entitled uh, "Jewish Theological Reflections on the Holocaust." And he paraphrases the words of Yirmiyahu. He says, "Ani I'm the man. I saw the affliction of my people. He writes, I saw the Warsaw Ghetto with thousands of skeletons extending their bony arms. You know, he saw the murder of his family. But instead of him becoming coarsened, he became more compassionate. I would say uh, he, he, he devoted his life to show Rachamim to to the downtrodden, to the, to the elderly, to the infirm, to the mentally incompetent. And, you know, if you would have seen my grandfather with, he was a regal person. He was an elegant person. He was royalty. He was compassionate. You would have expected someone of his stature. He must have grown up in uh, with two uh loving parents in peaceful times with the most nurturing and upbeat upbringing and what what's really remarkable is that uh, he did have nurturing parents, but his father passed away when he was very very young his father uh, passed away in something like nineteen seventeen from the spanish flu and he doesn't he didn't have i think his father was about was twenty six years old he doesn't have memories of his father other than he saw his father's toe at the funeral because, you know, they would cover the body with the sheep. So he grew up as a Yasayim. And uh, his mother was a big tzadek, and she had a store. So she single-handedly supported the family. Um, but my grandpa w- would say over, just, you know, I mentioned uh, my great-grandma, my grandpa would say over that there was a, a, a time that he was very ill, was deathly ill, and he remembers seeing his mother at his bedside, and she would raise her hands to the shamayim, and shortly after he had a recovery, he remembers his mother would say to him, Mardcha, learn Mishnayis. And my grandfather was something like a child prodigy. He was an eloy. so um, his two other brothers, I don't think attended Yeshiva Gadoila, but he was sent away to Plotzk to learn by Rav Michal Rubenstein, who was a student of his grandfather. And when when his mother traveled from Warsaw to to hear you know how's her son uh, doing, and the Rebbe gave a good report. The Rebbe said you know the, that your son's learning very well. He's destined for greatness. She she had come to make some money to support the family. She gave all the money to the yeshiva as a carbon toida in gratitude for uh, for that piece of good news. So he grew up only really with the mother, and then the war broke out and when he was a young adult and he saw, he saw, you know, Gehenna here on this, on, on this earth. And he saw the extent of human cruelty. And he emerged with such compassion and empathy. That's uh, to have an individual emerge from the crucible of, of the Holocaust. Uh, such a rach eleva, such a soft hearted, compassionate, sensitive individual. Uh, it's really one of the great, Miracles of of history.
1: Um, so what town what town was this? Where where he okay, so my,
0: my grandfather uh, was born in the city of Lipna. Lipna is uh, so, is outside of Warsaw.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, his father's father, his name was Mordechay, and he, he, the reason he was named Mordechai is he was born on Vav Adar. So his bris was Yad Gimel out there. His bris was Taina Sester, and they named him Mordechai after because it was Purim time. He was named after his uh, grandfather, Remard Chalev Blatstein, and uh, we like to say it was some it was somewhat um, prophetic because he was destined to be a great hero for the for the Jewish people in facing Amalek and facing Haman. Um, some of his background. His grandfather, Mart Gladstein, was a Rav in the city of Lynchitz. Lynchitz was, Yer Vaimbi Yisrael is a renowned city of Torah scholarship. And the Kliyakar was a Rav in Lynchitz. And my grandfather's grandfather was was a Rav in the city of Lynchitz. At the time, we're going back now to the 1860s. At the time that my great great grandfather was a Rav in Lynchitz, the Malbim, who had a very difficult rabbinic career. He was he had a run from one rabbinic post to the next because reform movement and all kinds of difficulties that he encountered, the Malbum um resided in Lynchitz and began working on his uh commentary on the Tanakh in the city of Lynchitz. So he became a dear friend of my great-great grandfather. So to my grandfather who didn't know his father and only sort of knew of his grandfather the Malbim was like he never met the Malbim, but the Malbim was like his revered uncle, literally. So my grandfather did not go a day of his life without studying the works of the of the Malbim. My grandfather did not go an hour of his life without speaking about the Malbim. My grandfather was attached, in uh, uh spiritually, to the to the ideals and the teachings of the Malbim. In fact. My grandfather's initials, Mart Khalib ben Yosef Menachem, are Malbim. Wow, that's so um, sweet. Malbim uh, is uh, Meir Leibish ben Yechiel Michel. In fact, I have, I'm going to go off script. I hope this is OK. But I have uh, the copy of my grandfather's uh, Malbim. Um, sorry, I, I, I disappeared there for a second. But um, this is my grandfather's Malbim that he brought over from Europe. And uh, he wrote many, many notes on the album. In fact, uh, after liberation, after he came to America, and we'll, we'll discuss that later, but uh, aside from being uh, a Rav in in uh, Bekehila, he was also the chief chaplain of the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. Um, Pennsylvania has many um, insane asylums, if you may, and my grandfather would go from one downtrodden person to another, giving what he called Torah therapy based on the teachings of the Malbum on Sefer Mishlei. So my grandfather was very attached to the Malbum And think about it, I'm growing up and I have a grandfather who could take me back to the 1860s, right? Uh, uh, 160 years early. It's, it was really, uh, really remarkable. So this is the background my grandfather grew up in. His mother's father, his name was Pesach Moshe Goldman, who came from the city of Lipna, and he was a student of Rabbi Shulamikutna. Rabbi Shulamikutna was one of the great Polish, um, great Polish gadolim, great minds. And my grandfather's grandfather, my grandfather's mother's father, helped Rabbi Shulamikutna in publishing the Yeshua Smagoy. And this was my grandfather's uh, background. Before the war, he already had smicha from Rav Shlomo David Kahana. Rav Shlomo David Kahana was the Rav of Orsa. Uh, he was later known as the Aviho Agunais. That's what Remeisha refers to him as in uh, in in the Igor Moshe. And he later became the Rav of of uh, Yerushalayim. And I I was to be at Rav Shlomo David Kahana's kever. He's buried in Sanhedria. And my grandfather remained close with him, but he had semicha before the war from and from other rabbonim. and he had a, a very strong kesher with uh, the going of all of Europe, Rabenachem Zemba. Uh, Rabenachem Zemba was the preeminent God even though he was a Garachasid and he was a loyal Geruch Hasid who went to the Rebbe's Tish. Um, in fact, I heard from Talmidim of Rabenachem Zemba that but Nachem Zemba would go to the Tish and he would sit there among the crowd like everybody else. And one time when the Tish was over, the guy behind him, you know, thought he was so, pressed so closely to Ram Zemba, he was, he had his elbow, you know, like, like pressuring into the back of Ram Zemba for many hours and he apologized. He said that must have been very uncomfortable. Ram Nachem Zemba said, No, when we go to the Rebbe, we're all equal. So Ram Zemba was, uh, Adin Nefesh, really, uh, very refined soul, aside from his tremendous, godless, B'Tar, my grandfather would say that behind him was a Svarim Shrank, but, you know, not like we have. We have a Svarim Shrank of other people's Svarim. Behind him was a Svarim Shrank just of his own manuscripts. He had a commentary on the whole Yushami, on the whole Rambam, on tens of thousands of pages of Chidut Shetar. Kemat, everything was lost. Almost everything was lost, except for a Toitzos Chayim. So my grandfather was literally a Ben biased by Rabbi Nachem Zemba, now, my grandfather's was... uh, two best friends were uh, Rabbi Nachum Zemba's nephews, Itchamayer Zemba and uh, Rumbsho Zemba.
1: Did that connection was that forged after they um, they were forced into the ghetto, or obviously to, to each other beforehand?
0: No, they they were um, they were very close even before the war broke out. So my grandfather said um, he was a ben bias by Rabbi Zamba Zemba even before the war.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So the war breaks out, and like many many people. Some people don't really know this, but Warsaw Ghetto was not just the the home, unfortunately, to the Jews of Warsaw, but the Germans forced the surrounding areas, Jews from all areas, to be forced into rather small, cramped quarters. And that's how your father ended up there, along with his mother, grandfather, I'm sorry, more to say.
0: My grandfather ended up in the Warsaw Ghetto. Um,
1: regarding
0: um my grandfather's mother, I can't say for certain that she was in the in the Warsaw Ghetto. But mm-hmm. my grandfather my grandfather definitely was in the Warsaw Ghetto with Ramanachem Zemba and Ramnachem Zemba's two nephews, Itshemayer and Avram Shazemba. Now I know this is a matter of great controversy, but my grandfather was together with Ramanachem Zemba during the Warsaw Ghetto Uprising. Not only that, he served as Ramanacham Zemba's personal lookout during the uprising. And he told me personally that Ramanachem Zemba certainly uh, did encourage the uprising. Now, I know there, there there's a difference of opinion about that, but I guess it's always easy to argue about something that you don't have firsthand knowledge about. But, uh, you know, I'm telling you what my grandfather uh, told me numerous times, Um there may be in writing that Rehmanachim Zemr originally did not uh, advocate for the uprising, but but things definitely changed once uh, there was systematic liquidation uh, of Jewish people, the likes of which the world had never seen. See, originally, um, I want to tell you something very interesting. You know, that uh, in the worst, my grandfather was together with the Pitzetz Nareba, with other Gadoilem, and my grandfather, in one of his articles, I believe in Dasir de Shavart, writes that the gedolim there got together to try to write the hashkafas haTorah on what was happening, and the piutzet nereba actually wrote a book explaining the meaning of what was taking place, and that book, I don't think uh, we don't have it, but this is the book that my grandfather writes about, uh, writes about in his memoirs. Um, you know, back back to the to the uprising. So my grandfather was together with with Menachem Zemba, and uh, of course, after liquidation of the ghetto, he was in in uh, many different camps. Um, he was in Radam, he was in Auschwitz, he was in Dachau. I believe he was in others as well. In uh, Radom, there is a story that's uh, become rather well known now about how my grandfather and his brother smuggled in a pair of tefillin. Radim was under the very brutal um, control of a rasha by the name of ficus. If ficus catches you putting on a pair of tefillin, he, he shoots you in the head on the spot. And every morning, my grandfather would wake up at the crack of dawn. He would put on the tefillin, and he would then give it to his brother, to put on the tefillin. One particular morning, my grandfather wakes up, and my grandfather uh, puts on the tefillin. He then gives it to his brother, Chanoi Hainich. Uh Uncle Chaynach puts on the tefillin Shal yad. Just as he's about to put on the tefillin Shal roysh, Ficus barges in. He sees this Jew putting on the tefillin. He picks up the gun to shoot, but then he takes a look at the tefillin Shal roysh, perched on the head of the Sadik. He chapped a sitter. He panicked. He put the gun down and he ran out in fear. And my grandfather said this was an open miracle. The Gemara says, "Vero kol ame ha'ares kishem Hashem Nikra lecha v'yarmi meka elut tefillin shabaroish." The Gemara bracha says. My grandfather says it was a it was a nice galoi. So even though it was very dark times, and it was what we call hester shabatoicha hesta astara b'toyichah uh, astara, but they also saw Gilo Shrina. They saw the Meirah They saw Gilo Shrina. So that was in Radom. And
1: now... we go back to, to, to Warsaw for a minute. You mentioned he was a, he was a lookout for, for Nachum Zemba. What, yes. what, was that due to, 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 to protect him while he was learning or to other activities where people came to meet him? Or what was that role exactly?
0: My grandfather would say that he was a lookout because he had very good eyesight. In fact, uh, my grandfather never wore glasses, and he passed away at 106 years old. I actually, one time my grandpa used to cut out these little uh, clippings from the paper or something, and I remember seeing in one of the clippings that eating carrots is good for the eyes. So I I know that he prided himself that he had good eyesight. What the nature of this, you know, lookout, Mm -hmm. um, you know, I can't tell you.
1: any other any other he was involved in with any specific like group of Bachrim or uh, maybe Hasidus that he was involved in the Warsaw Ghetto? There's there's so many organizations that were so dedicated to keeping Jews alive. The, whether it was soup kitchens or whether it was food smuggling, um, did he ever talk about the the daily life in the ghetto and how and how he interacted with other Jews? Or simple it was a simple 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 survival. You know, my grandfather didn't speak
0: a lot about um, the years in the camps. Mm-hmm. You know, I I, I could uh, he describes in his memoirs the hungry children, starving, living skeletons, corpses. Um, but but the the ghetto life was filled with the highest forms of sacrifice and heroism. He talks about. A web, a web of self-help institutions, underground shuls, chadarim and learning. Um and then he writes about how he would visit the Pietzetsna Rebbe and the uh, Ramanacham Zamba. Mm-hmm. And oh here it is. He says that the Rebbe wrote a book called Yam Dam. Yam Dam, Sea of Blood. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately that it was lost during the evacuation of the ghetto. You know, they found a lot of the writings of the Pietzetsna Rebbe. Uh, but uh can you imagine if they would f- would have found if they would find the work on you know the the theological philosophical outlook al pihat Toira on what was taking place
1: but, but that's something that we struggle with today now it's the truth is that in his, the the H-K-Dish, which which people are not aware he was not the um the author of that title he 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 um he wrote it was something called michle sazam the the the, the, the drushes sazam but he did not coin the title Ish That was coined later. You mentioned it, it was it was discovered in the 50s, buried in that now famous uh, milk jug um, as they were excavating new portions of Warsaw. But yes, you're right. This was that, that I guess it did offer some hashkafa uh, glimpses based on the terror from his weekly drushes. But it, that wasn't the, that wasn't the focal point. That was of uh, drushes. But right. but yeah, we have again now we have how the two things dovetail. We have the account we have your grandfather who was there as in the audience as uh, someone who could give us from that perspective of what type of Shizuk and how people went to this Piyaz for, for Shizuk during these dark times.
0: He talks about that they were forced to a labor camp called Bedzin and he's together with uh, Avrum Shazemba, the Shemayar Zemba, and he said that Avrum Shazemba was a great expert in the Torah of the Gareba. So, my grandfather's father was a Ger-Chasid. Um, in fact, he was a secretary for the ger Rebbe, And, and I mentioned before he died at a very young age, he died doing a shlichus for the ger Rebbe at 26 years old. So my grandfather is very attached to Ger. And uh, my grandfather said in, in the dark Golas nights, they would, they would discuss the Torah of the Sfasemes. That was something that gave them a lot of chizuk, a lot of meaning, a lot of uh, strength during those dark times. But uh, my grandfather writes in his memoirs that the learning they did, the Torah that they engrossed themselves in, is really, if the, when David HaMelech said, Lulei if he said it prophetically about any particular era, it was referring to the experiences that he went through. Because he, he, he said, there's no question that the Torah that they studied gave them the the encouragement to uh, persevere to some extent. Some of the memoirs of my grandfather in Auschwitz are really the most uh, powerful, compelling. First of all, he writes that when he got to Auschwitz, I mean, this I heard from him personally, when he got to Auschwitz, so the first thing he sees is that the old people were being carried off to be gassed and they were crying, and they were, they, what were they crying? Not that they were going to be killed. They were crying, who's going to say Kaddish for us? Who's going to say Kaddish for us? And my grandfather remembers thinking, who's going to say Kaddish for you? Who's going to say Kaddish for me? You're 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 an elderly, maybe you have children, grandchildren. Who's going to say Kaddish for me? I'm, I'm not married. And my grandfather accepted upon himself that if he would ever survive, then... Um, he would take it upon himself to say kaddish for all of these kadoshim, which he did. He for seventy years he never missed saying kaddish for the kadoshim. He all he said kaddish every single minion for the kadoshim in Auschwitz. He was together. A, a few things. They would beat my grandfather. They would beat him. They say Rabbi, because my grandfather's always praying. He was always praying. Say, what are you praying for? You think the Jewish people have a future? Jewish people have no future. We Germans, we will eradicate the Jews of Europe. The Jews of Palestine, the Arabs will destroy the Jews of Palestine. And the Jews of America, the Jews of America will take care of themselves. And unfortunately, what the Germans were most correct about were the Jews of America. Because while they did a pretty good job of eradicating the Jews of Europe, but there were survivors. And while the Jews of Palestine had a miraculous salvation, but unfortunately, more Jews have disappeared in the spiritual Holocaust of America than in Europe. And this goes to show that Hitler was very, very aware of the state of world Jewry. And uh, my grandfather writes, I saw this in his notes, that when he was in Auschwitz, the he saw Eichmann, and Eichmann invited a special guest from uh, Jerusalem. He invited the mufti from Jerusalem to to sit with him. And they were entertained as Jews would pass in front of them. And uh, they would hit the Jew in a way that the Jew would not be able to uh, procreate. That was their entertainment in, in Auschwitz. And my grandfather uh, notes... That if you want to know what Auschwitz is, it's the union of Esav and Yishmael. Remember in Parshas Taldos, when Esav got very angry at Yaakov Avinu. So what does Esav do? It says, Vayelach Esav, And he takes the daughter of Yishmael as a wife. See, when Esav the Gerah, writes, in his commentary to the Safra of the that if Esav and Yishmael ever unite, they would destroy the whole world. It's what we call the union of the Shar and the Hamar. Esav is compared to a Shar. And yishmal is compared to a chamar. That's why we can't mix the two. But if Esav and yishmal would ever get together, that's why Hashem makes a great miracle. They could the east and the west can never get along, right? We wish both sides hatslacharaba, but if they would ever get together, they would destroy the world. You want you want a picture of what the union of Esav and yishmal looks like Auschwitz? That's the result of the union of Esav and Yishmael. Um One Pesach night. My grandfather uh, joined us for Pesach. We were in Flatbush. We were going to shul the Aguda of uh, Avenue L, Nostrand Avenue, and my grandfather, of course, was from you know the Asar Rishonim, if not earlier. And he comes into shul. I was with him, and walking into shul was a man, a tzaddik by the name of Meyer Yechiel Lachman, who they were together in Auschwitz, and here they have they reunite. 65 years later in a shul in Flatbush. And this uh, Mayur Lachman turns to me and says, you know, your grandfather, he knows how to daven. So, you know, I'm thinking, you know, no kidding. He knows how to daven. He said, yeah, but you don't even know what I mean when I say he knows how to daven. I saw him in Auschwitz. He was davening and the Nazi would come and club him on the head. And he would fall to the floor. And he would... Dust himself off. He would brush himself off. He would stand up and he would continue davening right where he was up to. Him. As if to say that there's nothing the Nazis could do. He's he's not he's not even um, there's nothing they could do to derail us from our mission in this world. You know, he's above that, he transcends that. And this was a very important lima. This was a very important. Lesson. That's what I mean. That your grandfather knows how to daven.
1: and from Auschwitz was that the first? Was that where they were deported from Warsaw to Auschwitz, or was in someone? Or I, no, I it what, might be blurry the whole sequence yeah, of events. Well, how, so if
0: you... Um, what the Masois were, you know, yeah. from one to the other. Um, you know, my grandfather would always say they're always Membe's Masois. but you know, uh, um, there was Radom, there was Bedzin. There was Auschwitz and uh, ultimately Dachau. My oh. brother Ari uncovered, um, he discovered that Yad Vashem has the the notes that my grandfather wrote of what happened on the death march that he was in um, in Dachau as the war was coming to an end. And my grandfather writes about how these skeletons, these near corpses are walking. And they're emaciated, they're hunger stricken, they're disease ridden, and they're walking mile after mile after mile in the scorching heat. And he would hear, he hears voices in the back, I can't go on anymore. And bodies were dropping. And my grandfather looks at these yiddin marching with him, and he can't help but think these are the dry bones that the Navi Yecheskel saw. When the Navi Yecheskel saw the vision of the Ha'atzama this is the vision of Yecheskel, and Yecheskel asks could these bones ever come to life? And upon liberation in fact the Navi is being told yes these, these bones could come to life. So he's liberated from Dachel and my father made a calculation that you No know, Dachel was the last camp to be liberated. It was and it was liberated literally on lag Bomar nineteen forty five and my grandfather, at the end of the war, after this death march, he's hauled onto uh these cattle cars where they were headed to the Turro Mountains to dig their own graves, and the American army bombs the railroad tracks, and when the the Nazis realized that that the uh Germans were coming. So when the Nazis realized that the American army was coming so that they knew their life was in danger, they quickly take off, the, took off their uh, Nazi uniforms. They put it on the survivors and they took the, the survivors, begot them and they put it on. But when the American army landed, they were not duped by the scheme because the Nazis were fat hogs and the, the Jewish inmates were, were walking cadavers. And my grandfather was liberated by the American army by General Henning Linden and the General uh, Sees my grandfather now. One one detail I didn't mention is that aside from the fact that my grandfather had smicha before the war, and he was close with many gedolim, he also had a he also had a degree. He was um, highly educated, and you know that's something that we don't see often in our world. Uh, again, he comes from a, a family of Ger Hasidim. He learned in the, in great yeshivas of Plotzk. He was he had smicha from Sholmadavikhana but he also had some kind of uh, formal doctorate. So he knew English. So the American army, the American general said, Rabbi, okay, you're liberated. Here's my gun. Shoot, take revenge against the enemy. And my grandfather said, revenge. I, re- I leave revenge to the Almighty. It's been five years since I've been reunited with my Talmud, Masachta Baba Basra. I'm now reunited with my Talmud, that's my freedom. I leave revenge to the Almighty. And uh, my grandfather was Zolcha to see great grandchildren learning mesachta baba v'asra.
1: Greatest so, revenge of all.
0: Yeah. What? That would be the greatest great...
1: revenge of all.
0: Yes. Yeah, that's the greatest revenge. <laughs> yeah. um, uh, poly- a conversation.
1: Famous... Did, did he meet any? Um, I don't remember reading. Did, did he meet Eisenhower? Or the... He was not. He was not. Uh... Yes.
0: Yes. Um, it's important that you bring up Eisenhower because, as I mentioned, my grandfather knew English. So upon liberation, he was made the head of the religious department of the Joint Distribution Committee. And in that capacity, they gave my grandfather army uniform, a jeep. And when Eisenhower came to the DP camps, he was Eisenhower's translator for the Kleisenberger Rebbe and the Kleisenberger Rebbe's translator for Eisenhower. Um, and my grandfather, upon liberation, he felt that he was being infused with the Ruach mala, that God was infusing him with strength to do whatever he could to rebuild, to resurrect, to resuscitate. The uh... You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.